welcome to those watching online as well. Uh, we hope that uh, you enjoy this message and reflection. We're in part eight of our series, Walking Through Mark's Gospel, and uh, hope you can make it here sometime at 10 a.m. Alrighty, for everyone in the room, we have been working through the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel according to Mark, I hit chapter three last week. Um, but we're heading into Holy Week next week, as, uh, this coming week, as you know, and it's Easter, uh, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday next weekend. So I wanted to not just continue on well, with Mark chapter 3 this morning, but also to jump forward to one of the scenes just prior to uh, the, the cross. And uh, so Amy's going to read for us this morning from a little bit in chapter 3, as well as a section from chapter 14. And what I want to encourage you to listen for this morning is how uh, Jesus is described by others and how he describes himself. So how, who is Jesus referred to as by others and by himself? Thanks, Amy. Mark 3, verse 7 to 12. Crowds follow Jesus. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far as north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day. So all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Mark fourteen fifty three to 65 Jesus before the council. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests and elders and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple and made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do you need other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophecy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you that uh, on this Palm Sunday as we enter into Holy Week, this most uh, special and holy and sanctified time of the year uh, for us, your followers, your children. Lord, we, we really we pray that you would reveal to us your heart that our hearts would not become cold or hard as we become more and more familiar with the, the wonder of the cross and the resurrection, but, Lord, that you would soften us, that we may once again be amazed at who you are and what you are doing in this world. Lord, that we would be overwhelmed by your love and your compassion shown to us in the cross, your victory and your power in the resurrection. And Father, we, 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 uh, we just open ourselves to you this morning and ask that as we uh, look at your word, as we open up um, the words that we have just read to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us through them, that Lord, we, would be, we, we, we ask that you would change and transform our hearts and our minds. And Lord, sometimes that's not comfortable, but we know that uh, the place where you want to take us this morning and in this next week and over the Easter weekend is better than where we are right now. We know you want to bring your healing power, your transforming power. We, want, we know you want your peace in our lives. We know that you want your joy in our lives. And, and Lord, we pray that we would be open to that no matter how much it might be challenging to be stretched, to be pruned by you, to be shaped, transformed in our minds and our hearts by you. But we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do that. We thank you for the scriptures and how they've been passed down through the generations that we may receive them now, read them now and reflect on them now to, uh, to hear your very voice. And we thank you for each other, this community of faith, this community of children of God, seated together to receive from you what you would have to give us. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is on the traditional church calendar, Palm Sunday. We haven't uh, read the, the reading which would often um, come on this day. Uh, it's not actually in Mark's Gospel, but in Matthew and Luke, there's this triumphal entry of Jesus into, the, uh, into Jerusalem. And uh, you may know the story, there's palms down on, on the ground and clothes and everything. And, and in that uh, particular story, they call him the son of David. This is one of the many titles given to Jesus. A little bit after that story, again in Matthew and Luke's Gospel, there's uh, this little dialogue where Jesus says, so who, who is the Messiah? And they say, oh, it's, it's the son of David. So there's another term uh, kind of connected, another title. And Jesus says, well, that's interesting. How can the Messiah be the son of David, a descendant of David? Because David called the Messiah his Lord. There's this little dialogue that goes on. And then in the passage we read earlier, Mark chapter 3, um, similar to other earlier passages as well in Mark's gospel, the demons, they, they call him the son of God. They try to announce him as that. But Jesus says, no, no, I, I'm gonna, I don't want you to say that. Uh, they also call him the Holy One of God. There's another title. And then over the last few Sundays, we've seen Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man. So 
all these titles for Jesus, all these kind of offices that he's supposed to hold, what, what, what's all that about? As we head into Holy Week, what I, would, what I hope that we might do is, is, is really get a sense of who this man Jesus is and was and the significance of these interconnected titles and what they mean and that, that some were given to Jesus and some of them he were self-designated. That that helps us to understand really who is Jesus and who did he want us to know him as. Names and titles in that first century context had a lot of significance um, in that first century Jewish context. We today in our culture, we've got some titles, you know, important titles like prime minister. But the thing about prime minister is they change every two weeks. And so, you know, the, the person holding the office isn't, doesn't seem as important because it's always changing. I mean, the same with many other titles or important offices, but the Messiah and the son of David and the son of God and all these titles for Jesus. That, I mean, that person was expected to be a one one person for all time who would come and hold an amazing role in the history of all humanity, much more significant than, than Prime Minister or President or any other title we might find today. And uh, in the passage that we read today where he's called the Son of God, there's not much new happening. Uh, he's, he's healed before and, and the, 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 the evil spirits have tried to call him that before and other things and Jesus is, is trying to, to, to distract from that that terminology. I don't want you to be going and blurting out that I'm the Son of God or the Messiah. And, and people at various times are calling him these things Messiah and the, the King of Israel is another one. And, and then there's people who, who, who trying to, are trying to not uh, basically show this is not who the Messiah is. And other people are saying, oh, I recognize he is the Son of God, like the soldier after Jesus' death. Um, and all, all the way through the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, this is happening until we come to, come to this scene that we read today and the leading priests and elders and teacher of the religious law, they're hurling accusations at him and the high priest recognises, look, we're not going to get this guy unless we get him to incriminate himself. We need him to speak because Jesus is just being silent. And so he goes, are you so that Jesus will have to say something. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Matthew and Luke say uh, the Son of God, so it means the same thing. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And what they're trying to do is, is get him to own up to something that they were looking forward to. They were, the Jews wanted a Messiah to come. They wanted this new king. If you go way back to the time of David... And even before David to the time of Saul and before that, the, the Jews wanted, the, the people of Israel wanted a king. God, we want a king. We want a king. And God was saying, I'm your king. No, 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 we want a real king. We want a king we can see. And so God, Lord, look, it's not going to go well for you if I give you a king. But look, if you're being really stubborn with this, I'll give you a king. And they, God gives them Saul. And that doesn't go particularly well. And so after Saul comes David. And that goes pretty well. But... You know, David wasn't perfect either. And, uh, but David was to prepare them for a king who was to come. And they're still looking for this king. They're still looking for this special saviour, this political overthrower. And, 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 and Jesus is questioned, are you that person? Because they don't think he is. They just want him to incriminate himself. And Jesus says two things. And our key verse for today is this. Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man 
seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. If he just said, yep, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, it would have been true and it would have been enough for them to go, yeah, you're done. That's blasphemy, you're, 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 going, you're going down, Jesus. But what Jesus says is, I am. Now, there was another reasonably significant figure in the Bible who, when Moses asked him about his identity, when Moses asked him, what's your name? Who do I say to other people that you are? That this particular, thing, uh, this particular figure said to Moses, I am. And that, that figure in the Bible had a reasonably important role. Uh, do you remember who it was? God. <laughs> and now Jesus has responded to essentially the same question. Who are you? What is your identity? With the words, I am. And after all this time where Jesus has been saying, look, don't go and tell them I'm the Son of God. Don't go and spread the word that I'm the Messiah. Don't, don't go, don't, don't, don't. He said, it's time to reveal all. And he, but he doesn't say, yeah, I'm the Messiah. Yeah, I'm the Son of God. He says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated uh, and Son of Man really just means a human one, seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming in the clouds of heaven. Here's what I believe is just so unbelievable about this. Jesus is wanting to reframe the expectations about who he is and even who God is. They expected a Messiah, this Son of God, Son of David, who would be a nationalistic deliverer at a political level, as one writer put it. That God would send a mighty saviour, that God would send another great king, that God would send the Messiah. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. God himself, God himself has come down. And this human one, this Son of Man, will be the saviour. God has become a human being. And I want to show you a clip where the Bible Project guys explain this concept of the Son of Man because this highlights just how amazing and earth-shattering Jesus' claim is. So turn your eyes to the screen. If you read the New Testament, you'll notice that the most common title people use to describe Jesus is the Christ, that is, the Messiah. But surprisingly, Jesus almost never used that word to describe himself. Instead, he called himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, the phrase comes from an important chapter in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was an Israelite prisoner of war who was forced to live in the empire of Babylon and work for the prideful, violent king who destroyed his home. That sounds horrible. And while he was living and working in Babylon, Daniel had this crazy prophetic dream. You ready for it? I'm ready. He saw four beasts crawling out of a dark sea, hybrid monster-like animals, each scarier than the one before. And the fourth beast is so mutant, there's nothing to compare it to. And it's violent, leaving death and destruction in its wake. What in the world is this about? Well, he's told that these beasts symbolize violent, prideful kings and their empires. Oh, like the one Daniel's enslaved to. Yeah, and these creatures might seem random to you, but these images are developing an important biblical theme. How humans are these remarkable creatures capable of doing great good and horrible evil. How we can behave like animals. Right. Look at the first pages of the Bible. God creates the beasts of the field and humans together, all from the dust. 
But then the humans are set apart and given a royal task of being God's image. So humans are like the animals, but called to become much more. Yeah, they're to be God's representatives on earth, ruling on his behalf, like kings and queens. But keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast who says that they could be more than just God's partners. Yeah, that they could rule the world on their own terms, which sounds good to them. But God knows this will be a disaster. And so he expels the humans to the realm of the beasts. The partnership is lost. But God makes a promise that one day a human will be born who won't give in to the beast. Rather, he'll overcome and strike the beast while being struck by it. Okay, so for the rest of the biblical story, we're waiting for that human. But instead, in story after story, we find people acting like beasts. Yeah, like in the next story about Cain. He was jealous and angry at his brother Abel. God warns Cain that he's facing a beastly urge called sin, a dark, mysterious kind of evil that consumes humans. But God says that Cain can rule the beast if he chooses. But he doesn't rule the beast. He lets this urge devour him and he becomes a beast. And then after this, Cain's children spread their animal-like violence, and it leads to the founding of a whole civilization known for its beastly pride, the city of Babylon. Okay, Babylon. So fast forward, this is where Daniel is enslaved, having this bizarro dream. Exactly. Now, watch what happens next in Daniel's dream. He sees into God's throne room where a court is set up, and God condemns the beast to destruction. That's great. And then Daniel sees that there's actually more than one divine throne. Oh, right, the throne that humanity left behind. Right. There hasn't been a human who's able to overcome the beast and rule alongside God until now. Daniel sees a figure called the Son of Man, which means a human, and he rides on a cloud up into God's presence and then sits down on the divine throne to rule the world. The partnership's renewed. Yes, and even more, all humanity worships and serves this Son of Man alongside God. Oh, worship? So this is no ordinary human. This is like a God-human. Exactly. And so now you can see why Jesus of Nazareth, when he came onto the scene centuries later, chose this title, the Son of Man, for himself. He was claiming to be that truly human one on a mission to confront the beast. He was tempted to seize power on the beast's terms. But unlike every human before him, Jesus resisted the urge. And then he went about banishing the beast from people's lives, and he was teaching people how to rule the beast instead of being ruled by it. Okay, so how do you rule the beast? Well, Jesus did it by giving up his life. Wait, rule the beast by dying? Yes. When Jesus was on trial in a human courtroom and being condemned to death, he said, from this moment on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at God's right hand and coming on the clouds. But this is the moment he's about to die. Exactly. From one perspective, the cross looks like a beastly torture device, but Jesus viewed it as his throne. And on this throne, he exposed the subhuman nature of our evil by letting it do its worst, and then he overcame it with his divine life and love. Jesus' execution was his exaltation. So Jesus is the first human to overcome the beast, and as a result, he can partner with God to rule the world. And so now, Jesus is summoning a new humanity into existence, one that can overcome the beast in the same paradoxical way. To rule the beast by dying. And then by discovering that Jesus' life and power can become our life and power. So we can rule the world as God's partners, but Jesus' style.
in the power of service, humility, and self-giving love. So there's a lot of theology there and this, this, this overarching theme and story of what Jesus was doing. But at the essence of what we've heard today, that Jesus said, I am, and the Son of Man is coming in the clouds of heaven, sit at the right hand of, the, of God, um, is this, this most astounding claim that not God sent a man, a special person, a Messiah, a saviour, but that God himself became a human being and was willing to take our place on a Roman execution stake, being tortured and humiliated. The great I am became the son of man, a son of man, a human being, elevated to the ruler's seat at the right hand of God through suffering and death. One of Jesus' most devout followers the Apostle Paul said it this way, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above every name's. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to give, cling to. Gave up his divine privileges. Last week um, we heard him say, Jesus say, the Son of Man is Lord. Today we've heard him say, I am. And the Son of Man will, will come in the place of power. It all points to this astounding reality that God would take upon himself the state of humanity. And this is at the heart of the gospel. Why? Because most important of all is us as human beings knowing that someone understands. That someone gets it. And not just that someone gets it, but that God understands. And the gospel is that he understands our pain. He understands our sorrow. He understands loss. He understands humiliation and grief. And he understands even death. He's experienced it willingly for us. And my point in unpacking all that stuff about the titles of Jesus and how he was referred to, but then how he referred to himself, was because not that he didn't fulfill those other roles, Messiah, Son of God, Son of David, he did, but because he wanted it to be known first and foremost that the great I Am, Lord of all, has become a human being and exalted through suffering, sacrificial, self-giving love for us. And humanity seems to be crying out. I don't know if it's just me or if, if, if you notice this as well, but humanity seems to be crying out with this question all the time. Where is God among all the suffering? Where is God among all of the pain and all of the stuff going on in this world? Where is your God, Christians? Where is he? And the answer is that he's on the cross, experiencing it so we wouldn't have to. Now, in the meantime, we do, and there is pain, and there is sorrow, and there is suffering, but that one day we would not be, well, not just one day, but that we would not be abandoned, that we would not have to experience this for all eternity, and that in the meantime, he knows 
He understands. He gets it. I heard this poem recently by an unknown writer, and um, nobody knows who wrote wrote it, and it's called The Long Silence. And I just want to read it to you um, because I think it's a great way of highlighting just this reality that Jesus, the God we know in Jesus, has experienced it all. It goes like this. At the time, at the end of time, billions of people were seated on a great plane before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them. But some groups near the front talked heatedly, not cringing with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? Snapped a young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve and revealed a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. In another group, an African-American boy lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded showing an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime but being black. In another crowd, there was a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer, she murmured. It wasn't my fault. Far out uh, across the plain were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he had permitted in his world. How lucky God was to live in heaven, where all was sweetness and light where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred? What did God know of all that humanity had been forced to endure in the world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he had suffered the most, a Jew, an African-American, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed arthritic. In the centre of the vast plain, they consulted with each other, At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God could judge them, he had to endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to life on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Let him give him a work so difficult that even his family will think him out of his mind. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him be falsely accused, be trialled by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. At the last, let him see what it means to be alone and abandoned in the world. Then let him die so there can be no doubt his life is over. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. When the last had finished... The pronounced sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered a word, no one moved. For suddenly, all knew that God had already served his sentence. You know, next week, next weekend is the time of the year when, when we see God in his, his essence uh, his, his full nature, who God really is revealed to us. He's the Father who sent the Son uh, to reveal himself to us through the Son. He's the Son who, having become like us in every way, on the cross cried out for our forgiveness while he died in our place. And he, God is the Spirit who, having sustained and comforted and empowered the Son in his human state, raised him from the dead and now is poured out on all flesh so that we would, he would be willing to do the same for us, empower us, sustain us, comfort us, and bring us into a new life. And we don't believe that Jesus 
As Christians, we don't believe that Jesus was sort of somehow superhuman or semi-human, but that he had these special God tricks up his sleeve because he was the son of God. And therefore, when it got hard, he was able to draw in this special power that he had as being superhuman, son of God, the Messiah. We don't believe that. That's called docetism. He gave up his divine privileges in every way and experienced what we experience in every way. The great I am, creator of all, became like us. And if we're ever tempted, on the other hand, to think that, well, but does God really understand altogether? I mean, it was really just a third of God who experienced it. What about the Father and the Spirit? Well, for one, the Spirit was there with Jesus the whole time. And secondly, have you ever asked a, a father or a mother whether they would rather take the place of their child who is suffering or let them suffer on their own? Of course the father would have rather take the place of the son, but the son had to endure what he endured. Whatever our pain, whatever it is, God gets it. God understands. And we might be really wrestling with sort of frustration. Does God really care? Does, really, does God really understand what I'm dealing with? Why would he let me go through this? Why, why, why would I have to experience this? I thought being a follower of Jesus and accepting Jesus for new life meant that it was all going to, that was all going to be washed away. The thing is that a theology, just an understanding that God understands is not necessarily enough. We can experience all the stuff of this life and just knowing the theology of the cross, which we've spent now 28 minutes on today, is not necessarily what we need. But the Holy Spirit has a really significant role. He has the job of what the Bible calls the comforter. The advocate, the one who comes alongside, the parakletos, the one who is there with us. And his job is to turn the theology, the, the understanding that we might have in our head, into the reality of the cross in our life. To come and minister the compassion of Jesus to us right here and right now. The job of the Holy Spirit is not to teach us what God is like, but to show us in here who God is and what he is saying to us. And I just believe that that is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives this Holy Week as we head into the Easter weekend next weekend. As we reflect on the, the compassion of Jesus as we remember his last words on the cross, that the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside us and not offer us more stuff to believe or, or a clear understanding of what it means that Jesus died for us, but to minister to us and speak to us the love of Christ shown on the cross. Who is Jesus? He's the God on our cross, in our place, giving us our life, giving us life and I just pray that the Holy Spirit makes that more than head knowledge for us. You may be in this room having experienced great loss or experiencing now great loss. Whether that be the loss of a loved one or loved ones, whether that be the loss of a life that you thought you, you had, Jesus knows and the Holy Spirit wants to show you why that matters. You may have experienced abuse. You may have experienced the breakdown of a relationship, a marriage, 
you may have experienced great grief, even physical pain. And we can just go quickly over the fact that Jesus experienced it all and go, yeah, yeah, but that doesn't help me until the Holy Spirit comes and goes, let me show you the reality and the power of the cross. Jesus did not, didn't end up there because he sort of somehow reluctantly needed to. As he hung on that cross, he did it for you. The simplicity of Aaron's message in the kids' talk is the reality of the gospel. He died for you. He died for me. He did it willingly, having given up his divine privilege. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come and minister to us. We ask that as we try to grapple with this in our minds, that you would let us just lay down the 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 uh, the wrestling that we are having, and instead allow the Holy Spirit just to to come and show us the compassion of Jesus, to come and reveal to us the love of the Father, to comfort us in the hurting the hurting in the broken places. Lord, when it's hard to see why it is that we might be feeling what we're feeling. I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would come and that you would bring comfort, that you would come and you would bring joy even in places of hardship, Father God. And Lord, I pray the power of the cross would become a reality in our life and not just something in our heads. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing this song.